It is so good to be here. It's great to be uh, worshiping with you. Was worship not awesome? Is, is it like that every week here? My goodness, y'all are going to go to heaven and want to come back to midweek at Durant. And I needed that. It was one of those days. Traveling, getting here was, was rough. Um, so, you know, sometimes midweek like this, separating and coming in and saturating again as a dose of heaven and uh, get coming out of this place encouraged. Just my hope and my aim to inspire tonight and to encourage you. I very much appreciate being here. I was in this auditorium for the very first time in February of 2011. I sat over in this section here. And I shared a little bit about that story about, um, I love how the young lady said how the encounters with Jesus around here start in the parking lot. And that's how it was for me. And then I came in here, I got to experience it even more. But then I came back one year later. And that time I came with my, my close friend and we sat right in this section right here. And uh, he leaned over and whispered something in my ear. He says, you know what, Pastor Phil, uh, you're going to minister here one day. Wow. And uh, I... I I thought it was a nice thing for him to say, honestly, but I'm like, it kind of felt like mom saying little, little Philly's going to be president someday or something, you know, but, but uh, it, I have received so much from Victory Life, from Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Lee, all of this community. I'm, I'm like family, I think. I might be that crazy cousin, but I'm cousin, okay? So I'm really glad to be here. You know, it's amazing what can happen in the life of someone who believes. It's also amazing how detrimental it can be when someone doesn't believe. Yeah. Perhaps you've heard this story. It's a story about two young boys that were in northern Minnesota. Early part of the winter, the lakes and the ponds were just beginning to ice over, and they ventured out onto the ice. What they didn't know is the further out they got, the thinner the ice was becoming, until one of the boys actually broke through the ice, instantly going below the surface of the water. The other boy that's with him began to panic. Seconds felt like minutes. Minutes felt like hours. He's, re he's trying to reach for his friend, and he can't, he can't grab him. He's trying to rescue him. He wants to do everything he can to do, uh, get his friend out of the water. He thinks for a moment. He looks back at the shore, and he sees a, a strong tree, and he makes his way back to the shore, climbs up the tree, breaks off this huge limb, goes back out into the ice, begins to beat the ice feverishly breaking it apart, getting the limb down into the water so that the, the, the young boy could get out. And he's out. Now, by this time, some noise had gotten the attention of neighbors. The paramedics were called. They got the boy stabilized. But the two paramedics were so floored by what just happened, the one said to the other, this is impossible. How is it that this little boy could break off such a large limb, carry it all the way out into the, the pond, break it free, and rescue this kid? And behind him was an elderly gentleman that was just kind of a spectator. He kind of gathered to see what was happening. And he piped up. He says, I know how it happened. The paramedic turned around and, how? And so the old man, wanting to be heard, he stepped in closer. He said, there wasn't anybody here to tell him it was impossible. Right. Amen. Amen. There's nobody here to tell you that it is impossible. I got married young. I, introduced, I would show a picture of my family, but um, Becky and I, we were childhood sweethearts. I, she became my girlfriend at 16. I married her at 19, and we're chasing down our 23rd wedding anniversary. Yeah, amen. Amen. You actually are celebrating her because she has to live with me. And, but how many folks here, um, how many married folks do we got here tonight? Oh, awesome. Hands up going all over. Did, did anyone else start early like me, like Becky and I? Okay. So the guys that are raising their hands, you can testify, and your wives can verify on this for you. But I know that that day, on January 25th, 1997, when we stood before our pastor and we made our vows one to another before the Lord, we entered into a covenant relationship. 
It, it was uh, then that moment we walked over to a paper and we signed our names. And on that state of Michigan ordained piece of paper, I legally, officially was a husband. But I can tell you that just because I was officially a husband, it didn't make me a good one yet. <laughs> My wife, if she was here, she would at least say under her breath, amen. But I also have discovered this to be true, that though we make a, a commitment and we respond to Jesus, we are instantly born again, translated from death unto life. We're in covenant. And just like a young husband had instant access to intimacy with his wife, as a Christian, you have instant access to intimacy with God. But I've also discovered that I didn't become a great Christian right off the bat. It was an event. You know, and, and, uh, it's one of those events for you husbands. You don't want to forget your wedding anniversary, right? And all the wives said amen. amen. It's an event that we celebrate every year. But it's not something that it, it started and ended on that event. And I've discovered that the process of change is not from the event. That change comes through process. It's time. It's mentorship. It's maturity as we grow. And I've discovered that within Christianity, we settle oftentimes for events that happen on the weekends, events that happen in uh, a midweek service. Uh, events are great because they, they set a, an environment for people to make decisions. But what I'm passionate about and what I'm most concerned about is, is this, this difference between being inspired, having inspiration, which is what we, I, I think we all came here for tonight. We want to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. We want to have some word that will apply to our lives. But inspiration has to be married together with information. Inspiration with information is what I believe is needed as we grow and develop and become the sons and daughters of God in maturity that he's called us to be. Amen? So let me uh, catch up with where I'm at on my notes. For those of us that are here, I'm going to guess the majority of us are on a journey. And if you're visiting here trying to, to figure out what's going on, I want to encourage you that uh, I'm not downplaying what's been set up for you here today. In fact, the environment had you in mind. That it was really important for us that you, you do come here and that you do experience the things of God. And that you would see that the, the body of Christ is a great place and a great group to be connected with. Have you ever noticed how people will define you by where they first found you? Let me explain. So my mother-in-law, I, I met her when I was 15 years old. And just a little while ago, she said something to the effect of, oh, you know, Phil, you do that. I said, Sue, I was 16 years old the last time I did that. I'm in my 40s now. That's not, that's not what I do. Has anyone ever defined you by where they found you? Perhaps they, someone knew you in your BC days? You're not that person anymore, amen? But we know what's worse than being defined by someone else by where they found you is when we define ourselves by where we started. God never wants us to define ourselves by where we began. He's always inspiring us to look up. That he calls us righteous before there's ever one righteous act. He calls us holy before there's ever a, an ounce of appearance of holiness in us. He's always calling us to identify or define ourselves by where he is at. You and I have a, a constant battle going on uh, between the influences and the, the distractions that everyone faces. I think our minds are similar to like Velcro. Uh, Velcro over time starts to pick up the fuzzies. And, and when you've got the fuzzies, it loses its stickiness. You got to clean out the fuzzies once in a while. 
And when we get too clouded, it begins to mess with us. We start seeing our lives not going the way we wanted, and our attitudes begin to shift. I came across this old African proverb. It simply says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do no harm. If there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do no harm. I want to talk about the importance of you and I becoming and growing. And I want to talk more than just prospering in the sense of money, but I, want to, I do want to talk about prospering in the way that we think about influencing the world. In our, in our area, in the, the central part of Michigan, it's a kind of a big deal for people to have gardens. Do you guys have gardens here? So it's a pretty big deal for us to have gardens. We have a short season that allows for that. But if you have a garden out in the back side of the house, we have water spigots on the side of our home. In order to get water from the, the water spigot to the garden, I need a hose. So I attach the hose to the water spigot, turn that on, and all of a sudden I'm distributing water all over wherever I need it. Can, can I be so bold as to call you a bunch of hoses? <laughs> Think about it. I, if I'm attached to the source... I'm so full that everywhere I go, I splash out on everybody, right? However, when we disconnect from the source, eventually the hose runs out. I don't have anything up for myself, and I certainly don't have anything left over to give to other people. So when we talk about prospering and growing, I want it to be in the, in the context of influence because we're all called to influence, Every person in this place, if you are enjoying gravity and oxygen, God has called you to be a person of influence. And influence must be on the mindset of what happens outside of this building. The truth is, the, the, the unbelieving world could care less about what's going on in this, in this service tonight. The unbelieving world really doesn't care what's happening on Sunday. What they're really interested in is what it looks like on Monday and Tuesday right? So we're talking about the, Jesus' words. He said, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. Someone say so. So, so shine. That's brilliantly shining out into dark spaces. So shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we talk about the, where I want to go, some people get nervous, and I've had people approach me after a, top, a, a talk like this, that, you know, Pastor Phil, are you, if you're talking about the things that we do, are we then gravitating towards, you know, performance and law? No. Let's just make sure that everybody here is on the same page. Grace is what we are saved by uh, grace through faith, right? So we're not working for our salvation. Everyone, I mean, you, you've been, been hearing Pastor Dwayne, you, you know. And we're starting to catch on to that in the north too. So I'm not talking about the, the connection to salvation, but I am talking about what we do that's really important outside of what we do that we call just our church experiences or even our theology. I think there's a, is an importance and I, uh, that we all understand what we believe. Theology is important. Would you agree with that? Being established on what you believe. But I think it's more important to have working theology. Working theology. James chapter 2, verse number 14. This is from the Passion Translation. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? 
And then he goes on in verse number 17 to say, so then faith that doesn't involve action is what? This one says phony. Faith without action is phony. I agree that theology is important. And I agree that God sees your heart. But the problem with uh, that kind of limiting thinking is that the world doesn't see your heart. They see the evidence. They want to see the results. And if we want to have a greater influence in the world, it's not quoting your favorite verse because they're talking a language that they don't know. But if you show them how that, work, that verse works in your life, now all of a sudden we begin to have a place of influence. We really must be committed to becoming more. I'm using a tablet to communicate, and I love technology, but there's a lot of things that I just like good old-fashioned paper for. Uh, my wife and I, we leave each other notes. Like if I'm going to be late or she's going to be late, she'll leave a note. My kids, we're trying to get to leave notes. But if, if, if for example, Becky wants me to go to the grocery store, pick up a few items before um, I come home, uh, she'll make a list. And so I, it's not uncommon for me to find a piece of paper like this. And on that would be just a list of items that I need to pick up. Uh, imagine for the sake of this illustration, I have got this list. This is an important list for Becky and I, super valuable for us. But I leave here and I go to the local grocery store here in Durant. But somewhere along the way, I mistakenly dropped the piece of paper. It's somewhere in a parking lot of Walmart. How long do you think that piece of paper would sit there on the ground before someone grabbed it? A long time. But what if, what if, uh, what, what, it's a good thing I didn't pick a big bill, but what if I, what if I dropped this piece of paper on the ground in the parking lot, on the parking lot of Walmart? It probably wouldn't stay on the ground very long, right? So I just did this illustration last Sunday, and I had a lady beeline up to the, the front. She grabs it, runs back to her seat, and I thought, okay, Lord, I sewed it to her. Bless God. <laughs> After service, no joke, she comes up with an offering envelope. She says, Pastor Phil, I recently came into some money, and I want to bless you with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was pretty good. So it is important that we recognize that there is value, and value attracts, Right? The more valuable we become, the more attractive we become, the more of a billboard we become. And people, make no mistake, are watching you, even if they're not verbalizing that they are. So it is important that we are committed to growing and becoming. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it. Jesus makes a distinction here. We have plenty of, of opportunity to listen. We've got great communicators, great preachers, great pastors, great podcasts, YouTube, you name it. You can listen and listen and listen. And I encourage you to listen. I, 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 don't, I rarely drive without listening to someone preaching in my ear. I, I'm, I'm the crazy guy that when Pastor Dwayne says on the recording, when he pauses and says, say it with me, I love Brother Dwayne, I say it out loud in my car. Not usually when someone's like hearing me, but I, I do talk back. Let me go back. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to the wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. So we need to be people that apply these truths, these principles to our lives, not just for us, but for others. The writer of Hebrews says that even God himself rewards those who operate in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, 
but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's a strong word. It's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I did a quick search on the word diligence. And the Webster's Dictionary defines diligence as industrious, actively engaged, or occupied. A few years ago, we had run out of space in our current facility, and we needed some office space. So we went down the road, we rented uh, 1,000 or 1,200 square feet of office space, and it was a great upgrade, especially from the older building that we were at, and now this new building, it was full of technology. And what I remember most about it is all the sensors in the rooms. So if you wanted to go from one room to the next, the moment you walked into the room, the lights would come on. I thought it was pretty awesome. So think about it this way. Faith has to be more than just something that we believe. It has to be something, in fact, faith isn't really a thing until you take an action. Many of us here tonight are standing in the doorway of opportunity. And there's not a person in here that isn't at least struggles at it occasionally, or maybe you're struggling tonight, that you've got this opportunity, but you want to know, God, how are you going to pay for it? Who's going to show up and do it with me? And what the Lord wants you to do is step through that door by faith And like that office space, then the Lord will illuminate what you need at the time. So faith is more than just what you believe. It's really not a thing until we begin to take action. So tonight, I I prepared an acrostic from from the word action. And I've assigned a certain word to each each letter in the word action. I just wanted to let you know that uh, if, it's, if it's any question at all, I, I, I totally believe in the miraculous. I'm a spirit-filled believer. I, I believe and I thank God for the supernatural power that's available to those that would believe. Amen? I'm in good company, right? But I also think there's a danger in treating the miraculous like a camouflage. What do you mean? Well, I think that there's times that we will sit back and do less and then just pray and want God to do more. And I have to point out that as many times as the Bible shows miracles, there's equal amount of principles that are there for us to walk out. And if you think about a miracle, if you need a miracle, it means that it's do or die. Like everything's going to crash if we don't get a miracle. I've discovered in my life, and perhaps you have too, that if I pay more attention to the principles of God, the time frame between miracles begins to get bigger. I I, I like miracles. I just don't want them all the time because that means there's some pretty tragic stuff happening in my life. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of, of the blend of, of trusting God, believing God, declaring. That's, I don't want anyone to think that I don't, I don't pray over people and want the miraculous to happen. I'm just saying that I've, as Christians, we can't be so divided as just the people that live for the experience without the practical application to you. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. Joshua, as you know, the story is standing at the river. He's about to take the children of Israel finally into the promised land. And I I just want to point out here that instead of giving him a miracle, God gives him a principle. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. I want to succeed in everything that God's called me to do. There's not, you know, I'm a dad. I can't think of one time that I thought, I want one of my boys to finish dead last. <laughs> Bring him up in front of the church. Bless God, my son was the worst at this thing. 
Of course you wouldn't do that if you're a healthy father. How much more our Heavenly Father? He really does want you to succeed. He wants you to prosper in everything that he's called you to do. So action. Let me, let me transition for the balance of my time to get. The letter, if you're taking notes, the letter A in the word action, I'm assigning the word available. Available. If we want to have influence, we want to make a difference in this world, we need to be available. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1, he begins to describe this incredible vision and presence of God. He actually sees the throne room of God. It says in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With uh, two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is awesome to me. I've been in some pretty cool environments, but I've never been in the presence of God where the room filled with smoke and the door started shaking. I mean, this is pretty radical. Watch the response. Instantly, he goes to a place of repentance. He says, whoa to me. I cried out, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to, to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I love being in environments where the presence of God is almost tangible. You feel it and things are happening and people are being healed and people are being saved. I love that. But if we go into those environments and don't automatically feel that God, I don't feel, I am not worthy of this. And it's only by your grace that I'm experiencing this, number one. Number two, if we come to this place as Christians, that we, we boast about the presence of God, instead of saying, from this place, I'm going to go out into the world and say, well, I'm the guy or I'm the woman who experiences the things of God, instead of being the one who runs out to rescue those. So we need to be people that are available. We should leave here inspired to have influence every place we go. We should start at home, Amen. We should start in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods, and those that we do business with. We need to be available. The second letter in the word action, C, we need to have compassion. We need to be available, and we need to have compassion. Ten times in the New Testament, Jesus is, a, is associated with having compassion, and every time it led to an action. He either fed thousands of people or healed everybody in the, in the whole area. Compassion within you and I, should lead to action. Let me put it this way. Compassion sees the root of brokenness, not just the results. It sees the root of brokenness, not just the results. Can I say something so bold as that Jesus didn't come to the earth? His primary motive wasn't to come to the earth for sin. He came for you and me. And he came to pay for sin so his children could be made whole and have oneness with him. In fact, we can see in Romans 5 that at our very worst, our most pathetic, he died for us. Compassion sees the root, not just the results. 
a real easy analogy of this. If you have ever taken a toddler to Walmart, you know you go past aisle number 14, it's the, it's the toy section, and you tell that toddler no, man, they will hit the deck like a fish out of water doing the minnow like this, like a manifesting demon. And I, I, I've been there, and I wanted to leave them in aisle 14 and drive home. But why didn't I? Why didn't you? Because you're mature, and you saw the root of it, that they were immature, and they were acting crazy because they're immature. Compassion doesn't just see the outward expression. Compassion sees the the, the very root of it. Your crazy neighbor, that mean boss, that that other brother or sister or family member that's acting crazy, we need to have compassion. Because Jesus has compassion on your crazy too, right? right? He has compassion on mine. Compassion sees that why people do what they do and what they allow. Compassion also focuses on rescue before the cause. Compassion focuses on rescue before it analyzes the cause. If you had a fire in one of the, the, the residential houses here in Durant, and the fire department shows up and they recognize that there is a young boy or a teenage boy that's trapped on the, the second floor, how weird and sadistic would it be if the first responders stopped and began to fire off questions, did you set this fire? Were you playing with matches? No, the first responders would go busting in there and rescue him, and then they'll investigate the cause. People with compassion go in and rescue first, and then we'll find out the cause of it, and we'll get them connected to Jesus if they don't know Jesus, or we're going to get the word in them so they can be made whole in that area. So we need to be available. We need to have compassion. The letter T in the word action, we need to be tough. This one's difficult for me. Not because I don't want to be like calloused and responsive in a way that's hard. That's actually the battle for me. Because I'm not talking about tough being calloused. There, there are times in my life, especially as a pastor, that people do some pretty mean things. And they say some pretty mean things. And it's still a battle for me to learn the balance of having thick skin and tender-hearted. When, when the temptation is to harden up your heart so that no one will ever hurt you that way again. That's a real battle for everyone in this place. There's a, there's a, a real nugget in Ephesians that I think will help us all. It sure does me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, the Apostle Paul. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Someone say tender-hearted. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I think the key, the secret sauce is found in the last part of that verse. That when you're struggling to forgive and be tender-hearted, you need to be reminded of how rescued you are. Amen? Amen. That was a good spot. Thank you. So we need to be available. We need to have compassion. We need to be tough. We also need to be informed. The letter I, informed. Let me, I, share, I found this article and it floored me. Between the year 1750 and the year 1900, the total expanse of human knowledge had doubled. At the time of pre-technology human history, it took 150 years. Today, the growth of knowledge is occurring some 100 times faster. It is said that the entire sum of all known information, i.e. human knowledge, doubles every one and a half years. 
Research shows that by 2020, it's estimated that it will be doubling approximately every month and a half, every 72 days. We, we have a couple of pilots in our church, and I've got a couple of friends that are pilots. And if there's any pilots in here, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just making an observation, okay? <laughs> but I've never met a group of people that live, breathe, and eat their field or what they do, their interests, like pilots. And, and I love these brothers. They're my friends. So I listen. But there's only so much aerodynamics and pilot stuff that I, I just kind of want to talk about something different. And I wonder, I wonder if we Christians kind of seem like that to the unbelieving world sometimes. I mean, we, we know our Bible stuff. We know our church stuff. Well, we know the experiences that we've had with Jesus. But, you know, in order for you to have an influence, we, we really need to be informed about the things that are going on in our community, in our culture. And, and you don't need to be so afraid about this being of the world and, and not of it. You know, there's a difference between being separated from the things and separated in, in general. Being a person of information uh, is Jesus really being our example. He himself had a working knowledge of society, culture, government. He talked more about money than he did heaven. In fact, what we also see in the Gospels is that Jesus shows a familiarity with the Roman Empire its government, its political setup in Judea and the greater Jerusalem area. Uh, he had a deep familiarity with law, justice, economics, even taxes. We need to be people that are informed so that we have opportunity to bring this life-changing word of God, this life-changing experience that we've had with Jesus and apply it in ways that make sense to other people. So we need to be available. We need to have compassion. We need to be tough. We need to be informed. Oh, we need to be open-armed. Open-armed. And I'm going to say this one, in the, in the tension that we're experiencing in our country, and politically-wise, too, and some of the, the spaces that, as a pastor, I'm really uncomfortable with some of the things that I have to address or, or negotiate or, or go through. But God assigned us for that, that he knew what was going, that we were here for a purpose in this season for a reason, yeah. right? So... We, we really wrestle sometimes with being open-armed because does, does that mean that I'm celebrating what they do if I remain open-armed? And I, my conviction is no. No, we don't. You remember in uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives a parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the question started out, what must I do to experience the kingdom? Now, we must know that he's not talking about salvation because there's not works that you can do. He's talking about the kingdom of God. What do I do to experience that? And so Jesus gives a story. And you're probably familiar that the, the, the man was, t- was beat up by thieves, left half dead. And the first person to come along was a priest. And the priest, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's trying to figure out, did this guy do something to deserve it? Did he make a bad choice and here he is beat up and half dead? What we do know is that the priest crossed the road and went around the man. Certainly another religious person could do the right thing. The Levite comes next. He's the expert of the law. The exact same thing follows. Instead of addressing it, open arm, grabbing and rescuing, he crosses the road and avoids it. But finally, the third one was the Samaritan, the most rejected and, and despised of races of the day. He grabs him without any question tends to his wounds, takes him to the end, pays for his way. And so then Jesus comes back in verse number 36. says, so now tell me, 
Which one of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must, you must go and do the same. So we need to be open armed. The final one is the letter N. And this one, it just stands for being nice. The golden rule. Be nice. Nice. Look at your neighbor on your right or your left and say, be nice. Be nice. If we can master being nice, Jesus said that that sums up all the law and the prophets. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. In everything that you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you, for that is the essence of all the teachings of the law and the prophets. You need to be available. We need to have compassion. We need to be tough. We need to be informed. We need to be open-armed. And we need to be nice. I, uh, I noticed, and we're getting better in our church, and, and I'm, I'm going to guess that you guys have already mastered this. But in the, in the time where you're kind of greeting before church or middle, of, like kind of during offering or afterwards, hey, have you ever ran into the conversation with somebody, how was your week? What do people usually say? What was it? We always hear busy. That's all I ever hear, it seems like. Oh, it's busy, Pastor Phil. You know, I've discovered that busy's relative. Because if your level of busy means that you didn't get to catch your favorite TV shows or something, I'm not so sure you're that busy. So busy is relative. But when are we, never, when are we ever not busy? Can you remember a season of life where you weren't busy? It's never going to slow down. It's only going to get faster. The demand in your life is only to become more. So we need to be mindful. If we're not careful, we will fly through this, this world and miss our opportunity for influence. Let me close up with a, with a simple story. A number of years back, a young and very successful executive was traveling down a suburban street in his brand new black Jaguar. Suddenly, a brick was thrown from the sidewalk, thumping into the side of the car. Brake slammed. Gears ground into reverse, and tires madly spun the Jaguar back to the spot where the brick had been thrown. The driver jumped out, grabbed the kid who had thrown the brick, and pushed him up against a parked car. What was that all about? He screamed. That's my new Jag. That brick that you threw is going to cost you a lot of money. Please, mister, please, I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to do, pleaded the youngster. I threw the brick because no one else would stop. Tears were dripping down the boy's chin as he pointed around the parked car. It's my brother, mister, he said. He rolled off the curb and fell out of his wheelchair, and I can't lift him up. Sobbing, the boy asked the executive, would you please help me get him back into his wheelchair? He's hurt, and he's too heavy for me. The mood was transformed in a moment as the young executive realized what had occurred. He lifted the young man into the wheelchair and took out his handkerchief and wiped off the scrapes and the cuts. He then watched as the younger brother pushed him down the sidewalk toward their home. The young executive never did fix the dented side of the car. He kept the dent to remind him not to go through life so fast that someone has to throw a brick at him to get his attention. Amen. Can I pray over you before I transition? Father, thank you so much for... Uh, bringing a marriage between inspiration and encounter with information and principles. 
that we would be people that would respond, God, not just asking you to do more, but we'd be like the, the, the one stepping into the door of opportunity, trusting you to reveal yourself as we act out in faith. And as we leave this place, many of us going back to some hostile environments, some difficult situations, and even in our workplaces, help us to be people of action, that we would consciously make ourselves available, that we'd be reminded of the compassion that you've shown us, that we would guard our hearts from being thickened or calloused, that we'd be tender-hearted people. Give us a hunger and a desire to be informed, to learn and ask more questions, that we would be quick to have open arms and rescue like the, the good Samaritan did. And in the moments that we don't feel like being nice, we need to be nice all the more. God, I thank you that there is a grace on us to influence You've called us to this region. You've called us to this area. That Your plans for us were for this era, not for just the ones that would speak on a platform, but each one of us have been given a platform to influence. It's our ministry. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.